Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here this morning. We're delighted if you're joining us here for the first time. My name is Alex and just one of the pastors here. We hope and pray that you experience what we're all about here, which is connecting. Connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, engaging our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Before we jump into our series, a little bit of family business. Pull up a chair, kind of gather around here, a little family business here for us today. Um, just a little update as, the, as we kind of wrap up January, head into the rest of 2023. It has just been a fantastic few months here at Chatham Community Church. I mean, the Lord's just doing amazing things. Uh, last week, the uh, Love Chatham picked up 200 bags for homeless folks that were donated by y'all. Thank you so much for taking care of homeless folks in our community. Uh, last Christmas Eve, we had a number of folks indicate first-time decisions for Christ and people recommitting their lives to Christ. Actually, uh, just said hi to someone who was here for the first time on a Sunday morning who joined us Christmas Eve. So welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, and the Lord's just doing great things in that. We baptized eight great kids last week here at Chatham Community Church. Uh, all throughout the course of the fall, we kept hitting new kind of post-COVID attendance records. And then in January, we continue to shatter those and have more and more people coming both here and at Pittsburgh. Uh, families with young kids have been the slowest to come back post-COVID. Uh, for whatever reason that is, uh, those have been the slowest. And so back in like the fall, we'd have like 20 to 30-ish plus kids in kids ministry. And then two weeks ago, we had 51 kids in Chatham Kids. So pray for those people back there at Chatham Kids. Pray for them. And uh, if you're looking for a place to plug in, Chatham Kids would love to have you helping us wrangle all those children back there in the back. Uh, and then our fiscal year runs June 4th. July 1 to June 30, June, July 1 to June 30, putting November, December right in the middle of it because calendar year in giving is so important to every nonprofit, including a church. So uh, our, our budgeted giving is $87,000 a month. That's what pays all the bills, keeps the lights on, all that kind of thing. That's the budgeted giving amount. And over the last uh, several months, we have continually kind of set, again, like giving has gone up year over year. Uh, and when we budget $87,000 a month, that's a million dollar budget, like right out of million dollars and $54,000, something like that. Uh, we always look to November and December to be sort of an additional bump, right? That people uh, give, if November December giving all goes well. It's almost like another month and a half or two months of giving on top of the normal giving. It's just that that's how it rolls. Uh, when we give that extra in, in, in November, December, it sets us up for the back half of the fiscal year, right? Because our fiscal year runs through June 30. And the other thing that we're doing in the spring is we're budgeting for all kinds of things, including adding new staff, right? With all this growth, we are dreaming and planning and praying about how do we serve, how do we step into the, all the opportunities that God's opening up for us, both with kids and with adults. And so we have some of the plans, some of those thoughts. And then a funny thing happened in November and December, and that is our giving was a little bit lower than we thought it might be. It's about $30,000 shorter than we thought it would be going in to the new year um, of a million dollar budget. Actually, it's not, that's not crazy, but we're just aware of that. And we're, we're uh, as we are thinking and praying about the spring and the summer and maybe hoping to hire uh, more hands, add more hours to part-time folks, we're kind of like putting a pause on that and saying, okay, we need to at least let the, the church know of what's, what's going on, what's happening. We're not stressed about it. We're not anxious about it. But over the next five or six months, we need the, the normal $87,000 a month plus an additional 30K to come in. If it comes in, then we will go ahead and look to hire uh, some more folks, add some more hours to our staff and step into all these new opportunities. And if the money does not come in, we will recalibrate. 
But yeah, the Lord has done all kinds of things with a lot less money than we have on hand. He's done less things for us with a lot less money than we have on hand right now. And so we trust the Lord in all this. Uh, the church has always been super generous. We're super grateful for that. We just want to let folks know what, where, where things are going into the, the, the last half of the fiscal year. If you are a, a part of our church, we invite you to give. Give regularly. Give generously. If you're not a part of our church, we don't want this. It's not a hard sell at all. We're, just, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're off to a great start in 2023. The Lord's doing so many great things, and we get to be part of it. It's just cool to be part of it as a family, as a church family, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing, and we just ask you to continue to pray that God would give us the spirit to continue to do great work here at Chatham Community Church, that we would uh, meet the Lord here, that we would grow as a church family, and that we would continually leave here and, and be a part of God's kingdom coming, God's will being done all across Chatham County and beyond in uh, the days and weeks ahead in 2020. This is week four of our series called Living Supernaturally. If you're just joining us, this has been a fun, fun series causing all kinds of conversations and buzz about what does it mean to live supernaturally. Week one, we looked at what was likely Jesus' first recorded teaching where he says he's been anointed to live supernaturally. He's come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. That's not just one 12-month period. That's a whole era, a whole new king and a whole new kingdom that never ends where God's favor is constantly available to each of us. Wouldn't the year of the Lord's favor be a great description of your 2023? Wouldn't that be a great description of 2023 for you? So he says, Jesus says, I have been anointed to live supernaturally, but then the way he talks about it, it's very, very earthy, very, very practical. Proclaim good news to the poor, set prisoners free, give sight to the blind. Like the way that Jesus talked and lived, it was like there's the natural world and the supernatural world, and they're supposed to be joined together, but they've been torn apart. It wasn't supposed to be that way. So everywhere Jesus goes, he's bringing God's supernatural power, supernatural grace, and reintegrating, zipping it back together, sewing things together that were never supposed to be torn apart. He, he sews back up broken hearts, Broken minds, broken legs, broken eyes, broken ears. Zipping them back up to make them whole again. And then he gives us the same Holy Spirit. And he says, I want you to go and live supernaturally. Living supernaturally is just, as I've been our working definition, just reintegrating life of God, power of God, grace of God, mercy of God into our own lives and into the world around us. And we're being instruments and agents of God's grace and mercy, his peace his love in our own lives, and then we're participating in him sort of zipping back up and making things whole again wherever he might send us. Now today we're going to dig deeper into the supernatural world and the map of the supernatural world. We're going to talk about the reality that there are spiritual forces set against us. Because it's one thing to have an enemy, it's a worse thing to have an enemy and not realize it until it's too late. Right? And that's where most of us are. We were talking about this whole series in my small group this past week, and, and, it's, and it, just kind of how's it going and how people are interacting with it. It was super fun. And uh, most, of, most of my small groups, I think, were in most of our churches, which, hey, we're curious. We're kind of leaning in. Uh, as you start talking about living supernaturally or supernatural experiences, people have stories they haven't told anybody because it sounded too weird, but it kind of gives permission for people to share those stories. So that's kind of one, one, one kind of chunk of our church. An another person in, in the small group, which I think represents a portion of you, is like, it's kind of hard for me. He's in the medical field. He's been the hard sciences for his entire adult life. Like having a category for the supernatural is not the easiest thing in the world. Well, in the first century, here's what everyone knows. We live in a spiritually contested space. But what happens in the West is the scientific revolution comes along, a great thing, but with the scientific revolution comes an insistence that there is no spiritual life. It's all just matter, right? It's all just biology, chemistry, psychology, sociology. It's all just stuff that we can run experiments on. 
And this approach completely dominates the education system. All of us, even if you're not a hard scientist, you have been taught that the only thing that exists is matter. Matter is all that there is, and there is no supernatural, there is no spiritual world. It's all biology, psychology, chemistry, and all those sort of things. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, I don't know if I believe in any of this stuff. We're so glad you're here. And as Christians, we say, thank you to the sciences. Like, we're living longer, healthy. We've discovered all kinds of things about how God made the world and how the world works and how we, how we live healthier. It's been such a great, great gift to the world. And at the same time, we're here to say science cannot explain everything. There are realities in this world that science is not equipped to answer. It doesn't even try to answer. And there are larger realities in the world that the Scripture invites us to engage in, including the fact that there are spiritual forces set against us, and we are called to fight against them. Many, many years ago when I was a college student, I went away on a, a weekend retreat. It was actually a weekend retreat, other Christian students, basically like how to read the Bible. It was a training conference, right? So I, like, like Christian retreat, I'm in, the, I'm in this bunk room at this like trashy camp in the middle of nowhere with like 50 college guys, right? It's Friday night. It's, it's not exactly a quiet crowd Friday night with like 50 college guys in this bunk room. And there's all kinds of noise, all kinds of stuff. But eventually everyone quiets down and finally we turn out the lights and finally I, I settle in my sleep. I shut my eyes and in an instant, here's what I see. I'm just going to tell you what I saw. It was crawling with red lizards everywhere. It was almost like, it was almost like you look at me, if you shut your eyes, you kind of see an outline of what you still see, right? It was popping. It was so, it was clear. I mean, I could still see it. Here was the problem. I only kind of sort of believed in that stuff. So I woke up with a start. I'm like, this place is swarming with evil. But because I only kind of sort of believed in that stuff, I talked myself out of it. I rolled over, went to sleep. Every single person the next morning, including me, reported they got no sleep all night long. Nightmares for everybody. The whole room. Seeing is not believing, my friends. If you already pre are predisposed to not believe in that stuff, you're not going to see it. Or even when you do see it, I saw it and I still taught myself out of it. We have to create a category, at least a category, I'm humbly speaking to Christians now, for the darkness that might come against us to be awake. Jesus says there's an adversary whose name is Thief. He has come to steal, kill, destroy. That's in direct contrast to Jesus' mission statement, which is to have life and have life abundantly. So today we're sounding the trumpet call. The trumpet call is to be awake to the adversary, to be awake, that we live in spiritually contested space and awake and ready to battle supernatural opposition. It's not that crazy. We're going to talk about it a little bit more because it's one thing to know you have an enemy. It's another thing to have an enemy and not know it. And again this week, I just want to say, if you're new to Chatham Community Church, I promise, we don't talk about this every week. And we're not going to get to, like, like again, no snake handling is going to happen here. We're not going to do, like, no one's going to get, like, we're not going to do anything too, too crazy. But here's the deal. Jesus lived a marvelously, wonderfully supernatural life. He invites us to do the exact same thing, to live supernaturally. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 again this week. We're actually going to be in the passage that is just before the scripture we read last week. So a little backstory again. The church is just getting started in Jerusalem. Some persecution breaks out. The, the followers of Jesus scatter across the area talking about Jesus, inviting people to follow Jesus. And in Acts chapter 8, we get, we get Philip's story here as he lands in the town of Samaria. Acts 8, starting in verse 5, writes this. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that 
city. All right, poll question. How many of you have ever had a teenager or tried to teach a teenager anything in your life? How many of you failed miserably at getting their attention of teenagers or keeping them? Because the phone is so much cooler than you anyway. You lose. You first phone, you lose that every single time. Philip here shows us a way to get people's attention, teenagers and adults alike. All you got to do is cast out some evil spirits and heal some people. That's how you get their attention, right? So Philip comes proclaiming Jesus' name. How do you draw a crowd? Nothing draws a crowd like a few good healings and some exorcisms. That's what Philip does. So he's proclaiming Jesus, and the, the miracles, the signs and wonders are supporting evidence. So he's healing in Jesus' name. Like, tell us more about Jesus. We've never heard of this guy before. He does these miracles. Two things are getting highlighted, right? One, spirits come out of many, demons, evil spirits, and many who are paralyzed or lame were healed. We talked about a healing a couple weeks ago. This week, let's talk about demons, shall we? This will be fun. Fun, talk about demons. Okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about demons. Let's talk about demonic activity uh, in, uh, the, uh, so in, in the scriptures. Okay, so first off, in the Old Testament, there's almost zero record of demonic activity, right? There's not, almost no, no like few people get possessed or demon-possessed and battling uh, against demons specifically. And then later in the New Testament, in the letters of the New Testament, we get, again, very little description of demonic activity in a specific way. Almost all the record in Scripture is in the stories with Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in some here in the book of Acts. So one theory behind this is this, that Jesus is God put on flesh, right? Jesus is God incarnate. A demon, Satan can't do that. Satan can't actually incarnate the way that God does in Jesus. So an, a, 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 a de demonic habitation is like a poor man's incarnation. All the, all, so Satan's trying to mirror. What's God doing, right? Trying to match pitch, but can't quite keep up, right? So what God does in Jesus is to change all the world forever and ever and all of human history to save us from our sins, to live for eternity with God forever and ever. Satan does like, well, I'll try to do something like that. The ways that Scripture talks about this, particularly with Jesus and Disciples is a, 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 a demonic spirit possesses someone, gathers someone, and controls portions or all of their behavior. Now, Jesus never asks for the backstory, never explains how a demon got there or, or, or ever asks a question. It's just, he just says, go away, demon, and the demon goes away like a petulant little toddler most of the time. Every time Jesus goes head-to-head -head with the demon, it's no contest. It's over. Most of the time, when the disciples go head-to-head -head with a demon, it's also no contest, although a couple times they kind of struggle along the way. But the whole point of sort of they're, they're going around demonstrating the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. And even though the descriptions of demonic activity kind of dissipate as we get later into the New Testament, the New Testament is adamant, adamant, adamant that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces. There are spiritual forces of opposition set against us. So we have to be prepared and awake to the reality that you and I live in spiritually contested space because it's one thing to have an enemy. It's a way worse thing to have an enemy and not even know it. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says it so well. He says so many things so well. He says, listen, there's two lies about Satan that we're tempted to believe. One is that Satan is behind every rock, every corner, has too much power, too much authority. Everything that goes wrong is Satan's fault. Every time Duke basketball wins a game, Satan's at work. It's happening less often this year. It's kind of delightful, isn't it? So that's one mistake, right? Too much Satan everywhere. The other mistake is to say he doesn't exist. Not a problem, not a thing. Satan's equally happy with both. And we as a church and our kind of demographic of makeup, we tend to fall for the second. I am meeting with a great couple right now. Beautiful couple, look great, super successful. They look great on the outside. You would have no idea that there is trauma, 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 and drama, 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 all kinds of pain going on. So much heartache. 
Last fall, I met with her to kind of get a first kind of step into what was going on, understanding. And uh, man, so much pain, so much pain in the past, so much pain in the history, so much pain currently. And I, I, I talked to her about, as I'm talking about it, I'm like, hey, are, are you in counseling, are you in therapy? She was. I'm like, good, that's so great. But as she talked more and more about the pain, as she talked more about the trauma and talked about how it had gone on from generation to generation to generation, I had a feeling, I had a sense, there's more going on here than just therapy can help. And so I said to her, and I, I, like, this is not something that happens to me every day. I said, are you willing, would you be willing to let us pray for you? Because I think there's a spiritual layer to this that therapy might not get to. There might be a spiritual layer to this that we need to address. Would you be willing to come and have me and a woman from our prayer team pray over you to do any kind of spiritual healing and kind of break any kind of thing that's going on spiritually and all this? She was desperate enough to say yes. So we met over in the office, over here. She shared some of her story with the woman who, who was from the prayer team that was praying with me. And for 45 minutes to an hour, we prayed over her. We fought for her. We prayed scripture. We prayed truth over her. We surfaced some lies. There was crazy stuff happening in that room over there. She was experiencing physical sensations. We read a piece of scripture at the end, and she's like, she felt like a shot of heat was like shot up her leg. Like there was all kinds of stuff happening. It was totally unexpected. I didn't expect it. She didn't expect it. Like it was, she was exhausted when it was all said and done because it was so intense. But she left here lighter, more at peace. And she didn't know what it all meant. I'm not sure what it was all meant. All I know is there was a spiritual layer to this that counseling wasn't going to fix. And thank God for counseling. Thank God for therapy. I'm like, I'm so, like, not either or, right? Both and. Like, those are things that need to happen. But there was a spiritual layer to it that had to be broken. And if we didn't do that work, if the church didn't step in and do that work, if believers didn't step in and do that work, she was going to keep carrying that little spirit, that whatever that evil was, with her, no matter how much therapy and counseling she got. And so, my friends, this morning, one of the things I want to invite you into, I want to invite you to step into, is to be awake and ready to battle on behalf of anyone and anywhere who needs you to live supernaturally. Can you be awake and aware that there might be people around you who need you to live supernaturally, to step in? Family member, a friend, maybe at your school, maybe at your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood. There is stuff going on. There is spiritual opposition because we live in contested space. And so are you willing and able to step in to live supernaturally? Remember, living supernaturally is just reintegrating God's power, God's authority, God's grace, God's peace, God's love, God's mercy into the natural, into wherever God has you. Anytime you come alongside an anxious coworker, someone who's struggling or stressed out, and you bring the peace of Christ, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ into that situation, you're living supernaturally. It's living supernaturally when you come alongside a coworker or a friend or family member who is, doesn't know the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and you tell them the good news of what God has done in Jesus, and you declare to them the good news that Jesus has forgiven them and God has raised him from the dead, and you're invited to live in eternity with the God of the universe. Anytime you proclaim that good news, you're living supernaturally. It's living supernaturally when you pray for someone for healing in Jesus' name and just see what God might do. It's Living supernaturally when you hear someone going through setback after setback after setback and you have a sense, maybe like I did, that there's something additional happening here that's a spiritual layer to it. And maybe you get a friend and maybe you go pray for them and pray over them. 
Or maybe you go do a prayer walk. I'll, about, about a couple times a year, I'll just walk through someone's house who's been through a really difficult season of marriage, really difficult family situation. There's been a lot of heartache, a lot of anger, a lot of tears. I'll walk through the house and just pray kind of a sweeping prayer that the Lord would kind of clean out any kind of lingering darkness or spirit that might haunt them, like literally or partially. Just pray that the Lord might kind of bring a cleansing, a fresh spirit, right? Because you've, you've been in homes where the spirit was heavy and dark, haven't you? You've known marriages, you've known families where you walk in and it's tense, people are angry. There's been pain. And sometimes you've got to walk in and ask the Lord to sort of give it a new spirit, right? A fresh spirit, a renewing spirit. It's living supernaturally when you pray and ask the Lord, maybe on behalf of someone you love or know or community you love, like, God, do you have a scripture or a word for these people? I asked the prayer team back in December, back in December I asked the prayer team, hey, would you go do some listening prayer and just see what God might say for Chatham Community Church? So I asked the prayer team to do this. We're doing a series on joy back in December, right? Big Christmas joy, all that kind of thing. The scripture that God gives one of our prayer members is this scripture. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he might devour. So she sends me an email. Merry Christmas? <laughs> this is what I heard. Doesn't sound very joyful, sorry. And I'm like, you know what? If the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, I want to know about it. So we prayed about it, I shared it with other folks. We were praying, 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 and I tell you what, my friends, as we've been talking about living supernaturally, it has been crazy around here. Three weeks ago, before the service, we had more tech trouble than has ever tech troubled before at Chatham Community Church. Both campuses totally melting down before service. Like, literally, every possible thing that turned off or on was like freaking out on us. Is it any, any, any coincidence as we're pressing into living supernaturally, we experience some opposition. No. We were in the middle of rehearsal. We pulled the plug on rehearsal. We're like, we just got to stop and pray. So we were praying and praying, praying. And the tech team is still tech teaming. They're still doing their thing, right? But we're praying and praying, praying in Jesus' name to rescue us, deliver us, to push back darkness. Everything, like things lift. The, light, the lights come back on. The switches all switch back on. Everything is good. Services go great. After the service, I'm like, we need more prayer support. I go to the prayer team, prayer team, can y'all just start prayer walking, especially for the rest of this series? Would you just come prayer walk through the space before the service because we're battling some stuff here. We need extra help. Prayer team comes, they prayer walk through. Last week was one of the smoothest, quietest, best Sunday mornings we've had in months. Bless the Lord. Be awake and ready to do battle on behalf of anyone or any place that needs you to live supernaturally. Who might need you this week? Where might need you this week to live supernaturally? To go do a prayer walk at your school, in your workplace, in a place where you know there's some conflict and some tension, in a space where you feel like there's some additional things going on where we need the Lord to move in some new ways. We have to be awake to the fact we live in contested space. And here's the good news. You have been given the Holy Spirit to go do some battles, so go do some battle. You've been given a power and authority in Jesus' name to step into situations where there is tension, where there is brokenness, and to bring the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, and to deliver spaces and people from the power of things that might come against them. Now it's important to see as Philip kind of travels around, he's proclaiming Jesus and he's doing these wonderful miracles, right? He's doing these things that are sort of supporting evidence, right? Philip, everywhere he goes, he proclaims Jesus. The crowds see the signs he performed. They all pay close attention. There's great joy in the city. So Philip is doing this really good work. He's really making a difference in the world. He's putting on some fact, a fantastic show. But my friends, the whole point of the show is to point people to Jesus. The purpose of supernatural living is not a magic show. 
to point people to Jesus, bear the fruit of joy. The reason why we're called and equipped to go live supernaturally is that in Jesus' name, we might bring healing, renewal, light, and life, and peace, and everything we might do might point people to Jesus and bear the fruit of the joy of the Lord. But we live in contested space, and not every spirit is God's spirit, and not every spirit wants to sort of encourage us to point people to Jesus. And we're going to look here, the, rest, the way the rest of the story unfolds, there's a story of a man who has been caught up in a dark spirit, not knowing it. And here's how that dark spirit has hijacked his life. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So here's what's happened. Simon has put on, has made a name for himself, putting on a show. He'd amazed him for a long time with his sorcery. Real power, real impact. You can't fake this, but for so long. So he's actually having some sort of impact. But who's it all for? Simon. He boasted he was someone great. He even had a professional wrestler nickname. The great power of God. Philip comes along with an even greater power. And to, to, uh, to his credit, to Simon's credit, he himself also believes and is baptized, right? He's, he gives his life to and then he follows Philip around like a puppy dog, just amazed at what he's doing, right? He's astonished at what Philip's doing in Jesus' name that he could never do because here's the deal. No matter how great Simon was, apparently there's still sick people around because Philip's having to heal them. Apparently, no matter how great Simon was, apparently there's people who are still having demon possession because only Philip is saving them. But when we're dabbling in sort of dark powers, they make so many promises to us. Power, energy, effectiveness, crowds. But when we allow our powers to have their way with us, they shape us and misshape us in all kinds of ways. Here's how the rest of the story unfolds. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these are the first converts outside of Jerusalem, first non-Jewish converts, right, in the, in the early church. Peter and John get word of it in Jerusalem. They come down and see for themselves, and it's not exactly clear why those people who've been baptized don't have the Holy Spirit. It says they've just been baptized in the name of Jesus. Likely, anyway, it's important for the early church, Peter and John are the pillars of the early church, to come and kind of give their blessing and celebrate what God's doing because it's going to get crazy on them as Acts continues to unfold as the Spirit moves in ways they don't expect or anticipate. So they, what they do is they place their hands, lay their hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. This is part of the reason why we actually put, lay on hands after every baptism, right? Last week, I prayed over every person to receive the Holy Spirit because sometimes, not always, in the book of Acts, the laying on of hands is sort of the conduit by which someone receives the Holy Spirit. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a time of prayer here to close out this series where we're going to invite you to go get prayer 
that you might receive a fresh filling or fresh new work of the Holy Spirit through someone praying over you and laying on of hands. I invite you to be open to what God might do through that beautiful little ceremony, service, act of simple prayer that God's spirit might move in you. Here's how the story unfolds. When Simon saw the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, hey, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter always very gentle and careful with his words there. Simon answered, praise the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. After they further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan village. See, Simon's been so used to his power pointing to himself, right? He's been so used to being called the great one, having crowds follow him. So when he sees someone else do a cool magic trick, Holy Spirit laying on hands, he's like, hey, here's some money. Give me the same power so I can have the same influence so people can look up to me and celebrate me because here's the deal. Uh, Simon, of course, says something not exactly gentle. He says, I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Not exactly gentle, but here's the reality. He is captive to sin because dark powers always seek to enslave us. That's what dark powers do. We are always captive to dark powers. Even when we think that we are using them, they are always using us. And Simon's habituated that, and he's still stuck in it. He hasn't quite broken it all the way, right? He's still sort of working this out. My friends, here's the deal. The powers of darkness enslave us through lies and make us bound to them. You might think that you're using them. They are always, always using you. And I want to put lies there at the front and center of it. The dark powers always speak to us lies. What's the lie that Simon believes? Simon believes he needs crowds and power to be important. First person in history to ever battle with that problem, right? Simon thinks he needs crowds and applause and approval to be significant, important, valuable. That's the lie, right? Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Evil always works through lies. A lie barely exists. It has no truth to it. Truth is the only thing that it adores. A lie is a mist. It's a vapor. But it's a very, very powerful mist and a very, very powerful vapor. And we give it power the more we believe the lies. A lie is like a little thin spider web. It's very thin. But the more you believe it, the more you cycle through it, the more you put your faith in it and and, and give yourself to it, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And you start to expand. It starts to wrap up all of your life. This couple I'm praying with, this couple I'm praying with, I told you about. Again, this doesn't happen to me all the time. This has been a significant spiritual experience for me, for them, and we're sort of working through this. But as we're praying, as we're, as we're praying, what's, what's surfaced is there are some core lies that she has believed, that he has believed. Because of some trauma in their childhood and different things, here's the deal. She apologizes all the time. I asked her, why do you always apologize? What's the thing? Why are you always apologizing? And as we're praying about that, she realized she's always believed that she's not really wanted. She's always in imposition. That's the lie. That's the lie that's been spinning and spinning and spinning. Living that out in marriage, kids, friendships, over and over and over again. Meanwhile, he's got core lie too. And his core lie is you have to earn everything. Work for it. You have to work for it. You have to earn it. And so here's what he's done. He has crushed it professionally. And he's a disaster in lots of other areas of his life. 
And here's the thing. We talk about surrendering to grace. He's got no category for this. He's earned everything. He's worked everything. The core lie, you have to earn everything. It's so drummed into him, he has no category for receiving God's grace and God's mercy was a free gift. He has to surrender to it. Father of lies plants lies in our hearts and we give them power by believing them and then acting on them over and over and over again. Satan is a liar. His demons are liars and they will speak lies to you and they'll, lift, they'll, they'll work in your insecurities, they'll work in your anxieties, they know your soft spots and they'll speak those lies over and over and over again. And sometimes those lies offer you power, right? Like Simon the Great, look at that, he's got a good crowd around him. Simon the Great, maybe you also, like, you also have lies that give you power. If, man, if you're working out of a place of vengeance, revenge, you got a chip on your shoulder, I'll show them. If you're aggressive for money and power, man, it will generate a lot of energy. You'll conquer some things, but at the core of it is a lie, is a lie, is a lie. Your life is being hijacked by a lie. Or... Look at these cards. Look at these stars. Get insights into the future. Look at this. A quick and easy way to get some kind of quick and easy insights into maybe, maybe even telling you what's true. But my friends, it's just reeling you in deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit, into the darkness. To, because you think you're using, you think you're using the powers of darkness, but the powers of darkness always only use you and have no desire to bless you or anyone around you. They will give you temporary relief and temporary power in exchange for your soul so that you get sucked deeper into the lie. A few minutes ago, I asked you to be on the lookout, alert for how you might live supernaturally to make a difference in the world. Now I want to give you the, the opposite of that, which is this. Be awake to and alert to the lies and to rebuke the lies about ourselves, about God, about the world that the dark powers use to enslave us. I don't invite you to pray the scriptures. I want you to be awake and rebuke the lies about ourselves, about God and the world that the dark powers use to enslave us. And I want to invite you to pray the scriptures. As I'm praying over these folks that are struggling with these deep lies, I'm just praying scripture and scripture and scripture. Good news. You can't earn God's grace. Isn't that great news? The year of the Lord's favor has come and you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. Jesus is offering it to you. Dethroning the lie, exposing the lie, surfacing the lie, rebuking the lie, moving forward in grace. Good news. You're not unwanted. You are a child of God, beloved by God, chosen. He suffered, bled, and died for you. He knows your name. He knows every tear that's fallen. He invites you into his family. The dark powers always work and trade in lies. You probably all of us at different points believe lies about ourselves, about God, and about the world, about how things work. And so part of what we have to do to, to fight this spiritual battle is we have to be awake to and rebuke those lies and know the scriptures that sort of counteract those lies that, because the scriptures declare the scripture as the sword of truth. It's the only kind of offensive armor the scripture talks about. The sword of truth cuts through the spider web of these things that we've gotten all tangled up in to set us free, that we might be people. Because when, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And when darkness offers you power, you're just getting sucked deeper and deeper and deeper into the lie, into the pit. And so I want to invite us, invite you to be awake to and alert to and to rebuke out loud using scripture or songs that we sing, using whatever you can, whatever tool you've got to counteract the lies about yourself, about God, and about the world so that you might be set free indeed. Because it's one thing to have an enemy. It's a far worse thing to have an enemy and not be aware of it, not be awake to it, and fall right into their 
drop. Simon's kind of stuck in the cycle. We don't actually hear anything else about Simon for the rest of Acts. We don't know what happens to him. But we do know that the battle he has to fight is a battle that we also have to fight as well. That you and I might not fall captive to the powers of darkness and to sin. That we might be children of the light. My friends, when the Holy Spirit comes, spirit of light, the power, the truth, the grace of God, it bears good fruit in you and through you. So my friends, I want to invite us to be awake to and aware of the spiritual battles and the lies that are coming at us internally. And as you hear them around you, I want to invite you to pray and to sing and to worship and to fight those battles. Today's wildly important take of I'm just going to pop up all the things we've kind of gathered together here to be awake to the fact that we live in spiritually contested space, be awake and ready to fight and battle against supernatural opposition. I want to invite you to be awake and ready to battle on behalf of anyone and anywhere who needs you to live supernaturally this week. Again, that could be a family member, a friend, coworker. That could be an office place. That could be your school. That could be a neighborhood. That could be whatever meeting. You got a volunteer organization to be awake and ready to fight the battle using scripture and prayer. To be awake and rebuke the lies about ourselves, about God and the world about the dark, from the dark powers that enslave us. I want to invite you to know those scriptures and pray them. And then finally, to be awake to the purpose of living supernaturally. It's the whole purpose of living supernaturally. To point to Jesus that bears the fruit of joy. My hope and my prayer is that we would be a community of people who are awake and ready to fight these battles, to live this supernatural life, to reintegrate God's power, God's grace, God's mercy into the challenges and opportunities and things that people face here. And man, Jesus lives this out throughout the course of his life, but at the end of his life, he really brings it all together. At the end of his life, he gives us this meal that brings together the concrete, tangible, natural, normal things of life and the supernatural grace of God. The night Jesus was betrayed, he's with his closest friends, and he has this meal with them. At the end of the meal, he does what he's always doing, taking ordinary natural things, making them extraordinary, bringing his grace and mercy and infusing them with new meaning. He takes bread, he breaks it, says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Ordinary natural things infused now with supernatural meaning for 2,000 years. Followers of Jesus have entered into this meal, have taken of this meal to remember and to remind and to, and to awaken our senses and our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the good news of God's great joy in Jesus. We're going to move now to our time of communion and uh, just some logistics as we do that. The worship team is going to come up and start a song and uh, we're going to invite you to move to the stations here in just a minute. The bread's gluten-free, the cup is grape juice, so everyone's kind of invited and welcome. There's two stations up front, one in the back. Uh, we invite you to take the elements with you, take them back to your seat, and then hold them and sit with them for a beat. Just pray over them, receive them, receive God's grace and mercy through these elements. And then I'll come back up and we'll eat and drink together. As we move to our time of communion, uh, as we usually do, the prayer room will be open. The prayer room will be right there through those, those curtains right there. And this morning, if you need prayer for anything, if you need God's supernatural grace, mercy, power, his presence, his mercy, his kindness to meet you in your medical situation, your marriage situation, your family situation, if you need God's grace and mercy to meet you at your workplace or any other challenge you're facing, financial problems, job situation, we invite you to go get Back there in the program, they've got communion elements as well for you back there. So we invite you to go and avail yourself of that resource. Let me pray for us as we move down to our time of communion. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for 
your kindness and your victory. Thank you so much for reintegrating the natural and the supernatural. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would fall on these elements on our hearts to make us awake, to the wide awake real. Invite us into that grace and mercy in a fresh way, in a deeper way, in a new way. We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you would invite us to your, your presence through simple, ordinary, beautiful, wonderful things. We pray in Jesus' strong mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.